Hi, John. Nice to have you here with us today. Good to be here. Thank you. And um, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of right off the bat, I'll ask you to do kind of, you know, the standard. Hi, your name is, what do you do? Who do you work for? And tell us a little bit about who you work for, what you guys are doing, just the top line to start. Let's get into it. Sure. So I'm John Grabowski. I'm the commercial director at, at Move AI. Uh, Move AI is a markerless motion capture technology, um, which allows you know, anyone really to uh, take normal 2D video and turn that into a piece of 3D data, an asset that can then be used to animate or entertain or engage in any 3D virtual mixed media environment that's so guys and i always laugh when we do those only because when we're talking to technology partners when you explain it it's just like oh my gosh that's so much stuff like the application <laughs> yeah. so it's <laughs> you know it's almost a little bit of a, a comical place to start but just to simplify down it's really that kind of mission of you know how can we capture 3d motion specifically human motion and transfer it as easily into kind of digital interfaces, digital character movement, right? Totally. And, kind and of across the board. Yeah. And from sort of a human experience perspective, like we acknowledge beyond a reasonable doubt that things are happening in digital environments. Um, there will be an expectation, I think, for them to get more interesting or fun or just cooler to look at. Um, we can only, you know, the phone, the supercomputer that we have in our pocket is pretty powerful. But at the end of the day, it's like a flat three inch by four inch experience. Um, we know that there's going to be demands for more rich and engaging experiences. And where we think we can start to come in is in those experiences, um, people tend to gravitate towards realistic, humanistic, relatable versions of themselves and others. Um, maybe not entirely lifelike, like it doesn't need to be perfect, but um, a version that sort of we can imagine. And if we can be one ingredient in creating and taking authentic and natural movement, um, which is so central to our existence, right? Like we live and we be and we move around. If we can take that authentic movement and bring it into those virtual worlds, then we think that there's a role for us to play. Mm, yeah. there's. I mean, all of that, yes to, you know, there's a couple things that you said just want to touch on of like this movement towards, of course, the dynamic digital spaces that we're all starting to gravitate towards. And the fact that that's, you know, I'll say, I'll get the M word out early, the metaverse word out <laughs> early, because, you know, every, of course, it's been driving a lot of conversations, but driving conversations because it is pushing the bounds of our technology. We're at the very you know, you referenced it, the infancy of some of these things, of these digital spaces and technology like this is about, well, how do you make them more interesting? How do you make it more dynamic, more interactive? Because I know that there's a lot of people out there right now, because we talk to them, who are just like, yeah, but it's not special. It's, it's boring. Like, yeah. what's it going to be? And it's like, well, it's so early. <laughs> is that what you sure. think about too? 
I think that, and then, but I also, I try to remind people like, cause there is this tendency right now, like even in the last couple of weeks to sort of roll your eyes at the notion of where it's going and, oh, it was all hype during lockdown. And now that we're back to our old selves, we don't care about this stuff anymore. But I would challenge that. And, and I don't know, I sometimes live on both sides of that argument, right? Depending yeah. on the day or the when it was. But the thing that I try to remind people is like, we're sort of already doing this. Like think mm-hmm. about how many WhatsApp groups you're in. Each of those groups with different, has a different purpose with a different set of people and you talk about different things. Like those are little virtual experiences. They're little sort of micro communities. And at some point, and I don't know when, but we're going to get like tired of white, and green squares and blue ticks. Like surely mm-hmm. there's a level of extra engagement in those types of independent interactions that we're seeking. I think the the the, the MO that the metaverse has right now is because not everyone's not in it yet, right? Like I, yeah. if I go there, you're like participating with strangers and it's a bit weird and you have no idea what's gonna happen. And maybe the technology isn't there yet from a participation perspective. But if all my buddies were there and I was just chatting with them about like what our plans were this Friday, I wouldn't be talking about the metaverse. I would just be talking to my buddies about what we're doing this Friday. And like, that's a long bridge. I, I acknowledge and admit, but I think it's helpful to remind people that you're sort of already participating in virtual worlds. They're just static and you call them chats. Absolutely. And that the real defining element here is all about the interface. These things right now, you know, like you were saying, our phones, our laptops, they operate as our kind of interface, but as the need for set interfaces goes away, you know, what are you kind of left with? And I find that really interesting, especially when talking to you, because, you know, one of the things that's so special about Move AI is that it's agnostic camera equipment that's capturing the information. You know, no one's wearing, uh, you know, special motion tracking suits. There's not massive rigs. Um, and it is kind of that movement towards the democratization of kind of creation and, and content and no need for these interfaces. I mean, it seems like that's the direction you all are betting on. Totally. Definitely. Um, and I guess to sort of bring it back to like what's what's happening now, um, there's a lot of businesses, right? Like we started sort of by talking about the every person and them doing motion capture. And we'll kind of move to that in a second. But there's huge industries right now that have this need today. Like video games, which is a, you know, I don't need to say how, how big an industry that is. Video games are, are and have been using motion capture often on a daily basis for years now. And we represent just sort of the next generation of that, a way to improve upon it, a way to capture exotic environments, you know, large spaces like fields and stadiums um, and spaces that we're yet to explore ourselves, like in the water or, um you know, vertical things, you know, on snow, places that we know that existing mocap can't go and industries like particularly video games and um, film and TV production and increasingly virtual production all have a pretty immediate need for mocap in in different ways. Um, And before it had been reserved for blockbuster films. That was um, because they had the budgets that were big enough to pay for this stuff. Um, what we're now trying to do and share with as many people as we can at pace is say that that sort of those techniques, which were previously only for the and, and, and are still right now for the sort of big budget Hollywood projects, Marvel, et cetera, 
they, um, we can introduce those techniques to more companies and users. So indies and low budget films and independent filmmakers and students, they can start using it. But at that end, it's still sort of a prosumer group, right? It's right. We're, we're lowering the barrier, but you still have to have a basic, not even a basic, like a pretty comprehensive set of skills to use motion capture. Like yeah. I can do, I can do mocap. I do it all the time. Um, I run move AI regularly in a given week, but I don't animate the data afterwards, right? Yeah. Like, you, you know, what happens with that data still requires skill and artistry. So I think there's a lot of work to be done, not just with the motion capture piece, right? We're making motion capture very democratized and a lot easier to do. But once you have that mocap data, we will, and, and consumers will rely on other people's technology to make creating your digital double easier and make that character look relatable and lifelike. And that's a lot of what you're seeing in some of these experiences is like, design yourself, design your virtual self, like pick a hairstyle, pick an eyebrow style, pick a, you know, outfit. And that piece also has to come. So we can bring anyone, we can make anyone move. We can make anyone dance. We can make you moonwalk, if, you know, run, jump, all that. Um, but what is the character that's doing it is where our workflow stops and others will need to pick up. And some of the people picking it up are really high-end VFX studios and game studios. And others are going to be, you know, independent, creative, you know, young people who just want to bring it to life. And, and, and that's where, you know, we sort of stop having answers and we just want to empower people to do what they want with it. Hmm. Well, I guess that's a big part of, you know, the, also this need for really easy integration. You know, we spoke about, I mentioned you guys are kind of camera agnostic, but also that agnosticness of being able to move from different platforms then are you on unreal or, you know, are you using unity? And I mean, oh, some of those companies like, you know, Unity has been buying up, you know, different visual effects kind of companies to bring them in to provide just that, what you're talking about to people, you know, the set of actions, the character designs, you know, what can you crowdsource or what can you source from multiple libraries in order to bring it into one, which that feels like the future of creation, that sort of collaboration. When we're talking about how much needs to be created, that feels like the only way forward, really. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and we have, so I take two parts of that. Um, one in terms of being as platform agnostic as possible, um, we're seeking to create, you know, multiple file types from your animation, which can be used in all sorts of different animation softwares or game engines. So the data can be brought into, uh, you know, um, Unreal. It can be in the NVIDIA Omniverse. It can live in Unity and we can animate, you know, scenes in, in any of those platforms, but equally all of the more, um, you call previously, not the gaming engines, but the animation softwares, whether it's Maya and Motion Builder, our data works across the board. So that's been a focus and, and, and an important part of what we're offering um, sort of throughout. Hmm. Where we go is, I guess, obviously always a, a living opportunity and discussion, but um, we have plans to also build out a motion library where you can do your own custom animation with Move AI. So you can get a rig, get set up, do what you want, um, and then upload that to a marketplace that will allow that motion to live on beyond your creation. So maybe you did some movement for a short film project that you were working on, 
but the movement you did was cool and unique and someone else then wanted to just borrow that or buy that, they could go onto a marketplace that could allow them to acquire that movement from a, a movement library that anyone who is using Move AI can both upload to and then potentially earn from. And that's where you start to you know play on these, you know, notions of web three and the super decentralization of the internet. Like if you can create assets that can then live on all sorts of other platforms, that that kind of speaks to the core of what some of those businesses are trying to achieve. We aren't, I'm not suggesting now that we're going to be the final platform where those experiences take place. But if we can be the motion capture tool that empowers them, then we're all for that. We're, we're ready to help. No, absolutely. And, you know, let's kind of take, let's take a, a half a step back just to kind of touch on that, because I know we've been talking about these grand principles. I mean, awesome thing about your technology is the way that, you know, it can capture, you know, full human movement, you know, with logic in it. And tell me if, you know, this is totally off base, but like, how would you compare, you know, the move AI technology compared to something people are familiar with, like the Apple Animojis, which mimic, you know, kind of like talking sure. face movement. Yeah, totally. So I think there's like a spectrum in which existing technologies exist on. And at the high end is what we call optical motion tracking systems. The most, you know, spoke about brands are like Vicon and OptiTrack. And they've been in the game for 20, 25 years, um, doing most of the projects that have involved motion capture that you know and love think Marvel films and major uh, video game franchises and things like that. That's the optical system up, up at that end. At the other end is, you know, you mentioned Animojis and even some of the stuff that Snapchat are doing with the Lens Studio. Mm -hmm. That is a single camera capture, which is, I mean, the iPhone is a supercomputer. Like, I, I, yeah, it's, it's insane. Worth, it's worth pausing and acknowledging what that thing is capable of. So, that's using like LIDAR scanning out the front to understand your face. Um, you know, the, if you told someone 10 years ago that every person walking around is going to have a LIDAR scanner in their pocket, they'd be like, you're living in, in 3020. But um, that is enabling a lot more uh, single camera, sort of what I call like entertainment type experiences. Like an analogy is cool. A Snapchat filter is fun. Um, it's sort of a like a bite size, like a moment that you can experience. But the data that you get from that isn't useful beyond that single experience. Mm. Um, you can sort of enjoy it in that environment, but it's not like you send that data somewhere else and then you can drive or power another type of experience. So the in-between space is currently like uh, suit based. There's gloves that you can wear to track your hands. There's facial mounted units or head mounted cameras that you can use to track your face. And there's suits with like inertial sensors that use magnets and uh, inertia like movement to understand how they're um, tracking then the body. But all that is pretty invasive. Like you gotta put on some pretty legit rigs and the suits aren't that easy to slip in and out of. And they're also not that cheap. So that's sort of in, right now the space that we're like best place to service and support is um, you want ease of use that's more akin to a single phone, but quality that's closer to that of a optical system. And, and you know, move right now um, is, is pretty well placed to deliver on that. You know, you can walk onto a space, you can do a performance wearing the clothes that you put on when you got dressed this morning, 
and you can create motion capture data that is useful in the same way that you know optical tracking data is for for high quality production purposes mm. yeah it's really interesting and i love that kind of distinction you made of you know in in kind of those very light touch options the, the main distinction is you can't do anything with the data that you're capturing it is single source like fit for that individual person purpose and as we all know like very limited you know very kind of limited as, as to what you can do i mean fun and yeah. cute and distracting but, but, but and, limited and totally like impressive right from a technical oh, yeah. standpoint like some of the face filters that we've all see in social and stuff these days like it's pretty amazing <laughs> i mean i have to tell you a couple weeks ago i was at mobile world congress in spain and i had one of the geekiest discussions of my life which was essentially getting having a heated discussion about when the LiDAR scanner actually came into the iPhone and how that changed the game for everything, you know, for, for AR, for, for virtual, like, yeah, it was, it was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty embarrassing. And, <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, these are things that before I started working in the space, I didn't realize they were important, let alone powerful. And now, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we've recently done a capture using just two iPhones and at, present, we're only using the, you know, the image data off of those mm -hmm. captured from the two iPhones. They're set up at right angles so we can get two images of the movement. Um, our colleague, you know, does a, a dance inside the space, but you do your movement inside that sort of right angle that's created by the iPhones and we can capture the animation and extract the movement data from that. We have yet to even get into the part where we can then integrate some of the scanning properties that the cameras we know are capable of. but it's only going to enhance the quality of the output and hopefully further lower the barrier um, needed to, to get in and do mocap. Yeah. And when let's, let's talk a little bit more about that, the kind of like the lowering the barrier, because, you know, again, repeating what we said before, have a camera set up, there's no suits. It's just kind of capturing the information. And then once you upload it um, to the move AI platform, it's able to then kind of translate that. Um, how important is it for you guys? And, you know, we spoke about, you were saying even before consumer, it's kind of looking at the industry expansion, but, you know, so how important is it to create something that doesn't rely on suits? You know, is it just about the mass adoption or, or is there more to it than that? So I think the, the biggest and the easiest benefits that we tend to share come when working with talent, mm -hmm. um, when working with talent, if you have a half a day booked with a major brand ambassador or um, an actor or an athlete or whoever that is, and you want to do something in a virtual world, if you have, I mean, we're talking hours often with these people. If you have, if you have four hours, if you have to spend the first two setting up, getting them to put something on, getting them comfortable in it and learning how to move in it in the right way, then you've taken you know half a day with your talent to do a shoot and now you only have a quarter of a day with them so not only that you've also often kind of compromised the experience because mm. um i've heard stories where uh kind of a-list performers have created virtual concerts and they forbid anyone taking pictures of them in the motion capture suit because oh it may be a little embarrassing or it's just not put it this way it's not embarrassing but it's not cool it's, they're <laughs> so, usually not flattering um, either let's be honest <laughs> 
right? Yeah. So, so talent and making the barrier easier for talent to participate in motion capture and like open their eyes to it. That's a big one. Um, immediately, uh, time, money, comfortability and authenticity of the performance. Like I use, you know, using the sports examples, if you have, um, Cristiano Ronaldo taking a free kick in a mocap studio, it's not exactly the way he hits the ball when he's taking a free Mm -hmm. kick in the finals of the European championship. So whether, whether or not, yes, it's authentic and it's his movement. It's just, it just isn't the same, right? The tensing of the muscles, the positioning of the neck, the, the nuance of that movement is, is just not the same. So by removing the need to take that performance and put it in a mocap stage, we can then also capture an additional degree of authenticity, which, you know, at present is you know, unique to unique to move. Hmm. I love that you mentioned authenticity of kind of the experience and the movement, because, you know, when we talk about the, the moving forward into a more digitalized world, whether that's digital twins, mirror worlds, the metaverse, all of those terms, you know, you can sense the real fear and trepidation from people because they feel like there's the removal of humanity from it. And like, even when you see things about synthetic characters being created or AI, you know, avatars, it feels almost like this surreal scariness, you know, how, but it seems like, you know, you guys are looking at it much more of humans still playing that center stage. Do you think that that's the future? It's a mix of the both, but humans, you're still going to need that to encapsulate that really kind of authentic movement experience interpretation? Yeah, um, it's a pretty philosophical question. I think um, I think the way we come at it from a business is obviously. Like, mm-hmm. we don't think that platforms that are built without authentic movement expression, nuance, emotion, all those things that sort of come out um, will be successful. Like, it's Mm. not just that, oh, these are scary platforms and we don't want to be involved in them, like the average person saying. I think if it doesn't have certain features, people just won't flock to it en masse in the way the businesses that are building them will require for them to be successful. So that that I think is, that's just like a shared belief of our business that we think that naturalistic movement and expression is just going to, it's just simply an essential. Like we think that is a foundational truth that these futuristic experiences will require. Um, I think a lot needs to happen in terms of people's shifting conceptions for us to be cool with super stylized, inauthentic ways. Like, if I could create a virtual world tomorrow, but it doesn't have the laws of gravity in it, we all just float around. People are like, eh, this is kind of gimmicky. Yeah. There needs to you be know, that, think, that transition, that, doesn't it? Yeah. I, you know, obviously there's what we are starting to talk about, it, you know, induces levels of creativity that most kind of can't even begin to comprehend yet. And that'll be really neat when talented creators who are both technically adept to use new technologies and creatively ambitious to try wild things like that'll be really cool and exciting and maybe those can bring people to it but i i believe and and i think at move we believe that um 
natural human movement expression will be core to that, whatever that is for a long time. Yeah, I think, you know, that's, uh, that's our standpoint, too. I mean, perhaps it was a little bit of a leading question, but uh, because <laughs> humans have the uncanny ability to know when something is also fake, like we can't necessarily tell you what is off about it. Um, and so that's why I also tell people, I'm like, you're worried about the wrong thing when you look to the future. Like not everything's going to be replaced. There's actually, you know, think of it more of this kind of expansion, which obviously is what you guys are doing. Well, you started to say something as well. Like when we were, when I was a kid, you think about the future and you think these worlds in which like robots would participate with us. And you'd be like walking down the street and someone else is like robot helper would be carrying their groceries. And that sounded cool and neat and crazy. And we might be talking about a world in which that sort of thing is happening. We are living alongside robots, but not in our physical world, in our virtual world. And I think what you're starting to ask is like, how much of that will we tolerate? Or does it all still need to be grounded in humanity for us to be open to it? And I don't have the answer to that question, but but I, I don't think we're that close to having a robot carry my groceries home. But we're definitely a lot, I think we're closer to having you know, maybe a robot make conversation to me in a virtual customer service experience. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you, if you even just look at your average Amazon order, half of that's done by robots already. Once autonomous vehicles sure. are allowed out, you know, allowed on major roads, you know, it, that will go up even more. And so what exactly what you're talking about becomes a little bit more of, <laughs> becomes closer to reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking at some of the, the, the pieces that you've been doing, and I know, you know, I, the, the, there are so many applications for this. You know, we were talking before about the obvious entertainment applications across sporting, across content creation, or across, you know, more public pieces. But when you look at some of the projects that, that you guys have been doing, which ones are kind of bubbling up as your favorite? Which are the ones that you kind of start to see? You're like, this is just fun and different and, and new. Uh, no, great question. Because um, a lot of what we do is sort of being a substitute for, call it traditional mocap, for users that didn't have access to it. And that's that's awesome. And I'm glad that we can make mo motion capture available to more users. Um, but we're just sort of, we're delivering on what's expected. Um, the areas that we're sort of pushing the envelope, I think that obviously the really exciting ones and that's doing motion capture in places and ways that previously aren't at all possible. Admittedly, I have a sports broadcasting background myself and seeing what we're doing in terms of capturing sporting events at scale with all of the players running around on the pitch and being able to capture that experience, that moment, that match or that you know, um, game or that fight, whatever it is, um, and then bring that into a digital world in a way that no one else is able to because you can't put spots and dots on players or athletes in the arena. Um, that's really exciting. So we're, we're doing lots of testing with a number of different sporting federations um, to explore ways to do motion capture in you know, live environments. Um, and then what's possible with that data, you know, that's, that's uh, how long, you know, how much time you got, what, what can that be used for and how can that be, um, 
you know, built to create exciting and engaging consumer experiences, uh, gamified experiences, data points you can learn and measure. I mean, everything that you can then take from that gets gets pretty um, pretty amazing. So that's that's something I'm really excited about. The other areas, I guess, um, music, I think, is not trying to get caught out by streaming again, right? They got really blinds. That industry got totally blindsided by this whole streaming thing when CDs went away. And I think the music industry is really trying to avoid that fate a second time. And so there, the music industry on the whole just seems to be kind of on the front foot with virtual character creation, creating virtual doubles from existing talent, creating talent that only exists in a virtual world where different people can contribute, right? People, you, there's, a, there's a character, but then people, different singers and songwriters can then animate and drive and empower that character. The character might have a following and then it becomes a launch pad for other people's creativity. The type of people that might not have got a look in, maybe because of the way they looked or because of the way they were in previous versions of, of what we came to need and demand from our pop stars. So I'm also pretty excited about the um, ambition of the music industry to kind of try new things at the moment. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's funny for us because, Jack, with the clients we work with, we actually work on like kind of the full spectrum of, let's just say, entertainment technology. We work with Ericsson, who's, you know, providing the networks and the 5G that are frankly the only way it's going to be possible. And then, you know, work with Unity, you know, and they've recently launched their Metacast you know, uh, platform where they're trying to do just that, the real time 3D rendering capture of these, call these, I mean, massive spaces, uh, you know, crazy. And it, that element of looking at the whole stage of development holistically and what kind of gets created top to bottom and where the experience is for people. I mean, you brought up music, completely agree. Like, and the way that we're seeing that with, the virtual concerts. Um, and even before that, you know, I think one of the things that's been driving this we talk about is the equalization of experiences. You know, Kanye, a bunch of years ago, did his tilted stage. So everybody had a front row seat. And then, you know, now we're in Fortnite, you know, and Ariana Grande is providing an incredible concert to, to people who never would have had a chance to see her that democratization, that equalization of who gets to experience what just feels like the main driver to all of this. Yeah, and, and on that sort of specifically, just sticking with the virtual concerts, I think a really obvious next step is right now it's been either or. There's mm. amazing concert experiences as there have, and now there's increasingly pretty amazing virtual concert experiences. Um, what I'm excited and I think that we can power is, and I would invite any brands and partners that you work with to try and you know support coming on this journey is bringing them together. So mm -hmm. Glastonbury or Madison Square Garden, and there is however many people in the arena, in the building, experiencing it live in an amazing, dynamic, and totally real way. And there's people at home experiencing something that is at the exact same time that is also amazing and dynamic and in a very real way because they're watching it live in the same way that people are happy to watch live sports you know, on their TVs. You can watch a live concert and a virtual concert that's taking place somewhere else. And you know that there's people in the building that are bringing the energy locally and you're feeding off that energy virtually back at home. And being able to do that simultaneously is something that hasn't yet been done. And, and, and I'd love to, um, you know, if someone wants to take on that sort of leading edge, ambitious idea, then like, let's jump into that together because 
between Jack and Move. I think we've got yeah. two of the ingredients. Uh, so so let's let's find the other partners needed. I I agree. I'm already uh, I have a lot of ideas uh, floating around, and also I'm trying to pick which festival I would personally like to go to for us to try this out at. I was like, who's going to have this the best selection? I just found out that anyone that had Glastonbury tickets in 2020 uh, is has them now. They're yeah. honoring them this year, and so my buddy was like, "Yeah, I'm going to Glastonbury." Like, what? How the heck did that? I didn't even hear about that. He's like, "Yeah, well, I'm... so maybe that's the one we try to hack." I've never been, but you know, it gets a lot of press, so I got to see what the I hype's agree. all about. Definitely, and and just to even touch on that, let's talk about uh, real time capture because I know that you guys are in the process of right now. You guys have a slight delay. I think you said, you know, it's a couple couple hours as far as processing time and, and really, really what happens. But I know in the next couple of weeks, you guys are testing out, trying to make these things a reality in, in real time. Uh, if you could just touch on what are some of the challenges to making that happen? Is it purely bandwidth um, and, you know, kind of network or, or what are those elements? Yeah, so um, I sort of knew when, when I joined the business that, yeah, this is awesome, but everyone's going to ask, like, I'd like to stream. I'd like to stream of course, I, but what if I want it now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we knew, we always knew it was coming. And with that in mind, we've been working on it for a little while. Um, the first version of our real-time system will run locally through a um, an amount of, of, you know, some compute power locally. So we'll have cameras, so we kind of boil it down. We'll have cameras that we use to capture the movement. It'll be in sort of a fixed stage or a rig. So unlike the portability that we talked about with our post-process tool, you'll have to be somewhere and literally plugged in. Um, we'll take the data right off of those cameras and stream that into a server, which will process it to create the 3D animation data. And then that will run, run into LiveLink, which is like the connectivity into Unreal. Um, to create a rendered scene in Unreal. The first version of it will work in Unreal because we did receive an Epic Mega Grant in order to, to support this development. But um, as quickly as we can, we'll also then be bringing that through um, the NVIDIA Omniverse to really any other gaming platform, uh, gaming engine or, or animation platform. That first iteration of the real-time system will be a streaming concept where you do a performance, you walk on, and it then plays straight through into your rendered scene. Um, where it goes from there is kind of going to be dealer's choice. Um, you know, some people will, and some customers and users will have really high demands on accuracy. They're going to want to look as perfect as possible. And we'll need to understand what level of latency will they tolerate in order to get that really excellent output is two, three, 20, 30 seconds, totally doable. Mm. Whereas others will have demands to, to create maybe large location-based entertainment things where we're tracking people in a volume that's like maybe the size of a basketball court and you're an experiential thing or you're in a museum or an expo type site. And you don't need all the detail because you don't need to render everyone's sort of characters, but you just need to be able to follow them super accurately and in quite literally mm. real time with very, very low latency. And so we will be a little bit at the um, ambition and mercy of our users to help us chart our direction of travel with that real-time system. The first version for us, you know, the first part is is have it running and working, which which will be happening um, depending on when this you know podcast comes out in the next couple of weeks. It's awesome. And no, and I really appreciate what you're saying because I think we hear it a lot from technology partners who are providing 
you know, a software platform enabler to be like, we want people to push the limits to like test the boundaries, like see what breaks, see, see how far you can go, how big, how many people, how small, like, and then we'll go from there because, you know, that's what it's really reliant on. Like you said, that kind of the drive from, from, from the user audience. That's a question that I've had to get better at answering. People will say, like, what's the limit? What's the coolest? What's the most ambitious thing that you can do? Um, and I was sort of stuck a little bit, maybe grounded in the realm of the possible. Like, well, this is what the system can do right now. Um, don't ask me what it might do later because I'm not the one building it. But, um, but this is exactly it. Like, maybe we aren't best placed to think what's possible. We need to be challenged and we need to be pulled in that direction because at the end of the day, we're just a lowly piece of software. If we don't have creative mm. and ambitious people and talented people and companies kind of pulling it forward into new areas and new realms, um, you know, we're looking forward to see what it's capable of. Definitely. And I, I have to agree. I've, I, like you, have had to get better at saying to people, especially when they, you know, ask about things like the metaverse and they're like, well, what's, what's the end state of it look like? And I'm like, we don't know yet. It it's going to completely depend on what we create, but also the way that human behavior evolves, you know, those kind of the natural nuances we were looking at recently, um, a kind of timeline of some core technology, you know, VR, the idea of VR has been around, you know, for almost a century technology of VR, you know, half a century, like this isn't a new ambition. We just finally have some of the components to enable us to do the things that we want. How we do that is is kind of still being developed. Yeah, sorry, you got to help me out. What did what did VR look like in the nineteen twenties and thirties? The imagine. Oh version? yeah, it was crazy. So yeah, so it was first mentioned. You know, we just were doing a timeline on this, and yeah, the nineteen thirties. The whole kind of concept comes up in this book called Pygmalion's Spectacles about this like whole, uh, you know, completely world that, that, that doesn't exist, but only through glasses. And then, oh, wow. you know, uh, and then, you know, a couple decades later, uh, late 1950s, early 1960s, um, a guy starts creating this headset, like a, it's called sort of Damac Damascus, Damacles, that's what it is. Okay. And it was like, it had to be supported from the ceiling. Like it was so heavy and you couldn't, you could, you could only kind of like rotate. What? But these things and yeah, the, they started out as like flight simulators as weird kind of like um, people tested out with complete like sensory gram movies where you'd put your head in a box, you'd watch a movie and they would spray smells at you and fans would blow That's and awesome. things would get hot. Yeah. And so it's <laughs> like these aren't new desires. We yeah. can just do them now better. Huh. That, thank you for that. That's fascinating. And also, well, you like, know, pretty on the nose, right? You know, Pygmalion's spectacle of putting on glasses and going somewhere else. Like, we kind of haven't evolved since. <laughs> exactly. You know, actually, in a, a couple of weeks, um, we'll have this whole timeline actually up on a, our website. Um, there's, we're kind of doing, like, a little dynamic thing. So we'll send it along to you. You can take a look. Yeah, please. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so... Let's just kind of start to, we'll, we'll, we can kind of start to, to wrap up. I mean, would love to know in your mind, as you look at some of these uh, areas you guys are looking to develop in, looking to grow in, you know, 
you kind of already said it, you're looking for people to push your boundaries, but, but what else? Is there anything else that you're looking for? Are there types of partners that you're really excited about working with or, or areas that you want to encourage people to, to push and look in? Um, yeah, always. I mean, what we've, we've kind of started originally in the company's journey is, is sort of like broadcast graphics enhancement. So if we could understand where the person is, um, we can then also understand where the person isn't and extracting things from the background. Um, hidden in there is a little bit of a sort of secret about the additional potential of the technology. Like if we can identify people, we can capture them, we can put them in virtual worlds. We can then also see the world beyond the people and replace stuff and change things. So there is, there is even more sort of like blue sky thought that's possible about where the technology can go. Um, a couple other things I'll throw into that are we've been playing around a little bit with volumetric capture so that a lot of the experiences you see now are volumetric capture, which is like a series of photographs really taken in 360 degrees that are then patched back together to create a scene which you can view from any perspective. But all those are capturing are the outside. So you can mm -hmm. see that scene um, from any perspective, but then you can't sort of do anything with it because you don't have any other data points, other detail about that body. So what we're starting to do is add bones to those volumetric captures. So saying you're capturing it in, in volumetric settings, we can add bones to it that then makes it even more useful. So it can be animated or changed or tweaked or replicated an infinite amount of times doing slightly different things. So that's that's a cool area that we're, we're starting to explore. We've also been pushed a little bit just from like a pure play fun perspective to on towards more location-based entertainment concepts where people can experience one another in these sort of virtual worlds. So not only are you in the world, but because Move AI is used to track where you are, you can be then recreated and redeployed in other people's headsets and you can then interact with one another um, more seamlessly and naturally. So so all that's pretty cool. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to kind of getting into one of those and messing around with it and, and seeing that for the first time. That sounds awesome. And and I also loved uh, what you mentioned about the volumetric capture, because I think that's something that not everybody understands that kind of distinction, that volumetric is really about, yes, it's capturing a really high detailed, high fidelity, you know, image or asset of a, an environment, a set, a scene, but it is just the outside. It's not the, there's no, none of the rules as to what you can do and, and how things move. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned rules because that's really people like AI, computer vision, like all these buzzwords about, but what a lot of the foundation of, of the called neural networks that run the, the system is, is sort of statistical rules. Just knowing that these are the limits of the human body. Like you can't bend your elbow in that direction, or these are the laws of physics. Like if you're stepping friction means you're not going to slide or, um, gravity means, you know, you're going to come back to the same spot if you jump up from it kind of thing. So being able to introduce those rules and those statistical models into our systems, neural networks, our system understanding of the world is really the foundational truth of how it all works. Hmm. Absolutely. And as you guys are looking at kind of attempting, you know, more projects, building up more partnerships, again, testing in different ways, you know, for any prospective partners out there, what what would you kind of ask that they kind of come with? What's the mindset that you guys like to kind of start a project from and, and where do you grow from? Um, 
Yeah. So just sort of purely functionally, I love it when people have a vision about what it should look like because we aren't the final mm. piece. We are, we are often, we are an answer to what's often one of the more expensive and complicated parts of the creative journey. Um, what I'd like to avoid is people say, yeah, cool, you're going to help us create this stuff in digital worlds, but then no one has any idea about how it's going to look and what it's going to look like, or more to the point, how much they're willing to spend on what they want it to look like. And that, that has nothing to do with us. We're not, you know, you can find someone that's going to make you a digital double for half a million dollars. You could probably find someone that's willing to make you a digital double for free. They're going to look different. And so I would encourage people to um, have a think about what level of final output they're expecting. Um, and, and there's no right answer, right? Really high, really yeah. low, doesn't matter. We can support both. Um, but just have a, have a vision about how you want it to look. And then um, how do you want people to engage with it, right? Because if it's just then going to be captured and then live in an, on a screen, that's fine, but that's helpful to know versus is it going to live in VR or is it going to be you know, something that you drive yourself in a gaming engine. And so that also affects kind of what that final output looks like. But I would encourage any partners of yours to um, just sort of imagine like what your end state is. And that's cool. Like we all know that we have to answer, you know, to borrow a line from uh, The Martian, um, which is a film that I think is I like. He <laughs> um, said, if you get, if you solve enough problems, you get to go home. And so if a client comes to you with the end state, and said, this is what I want to get to. We can help solve a lot of those problems on the way. And other partners will also help with some of the others. You mentioned Unity and Ericsson, you know, connectivity and, and, and rendering are huge pieces of that. And so we know that the, the solutions are sort of in there. Um, we can help anyone on a journey towards solving it, but it helps if they come with the final vision of what they hope to, to create. And, and if they, they have to deviate from that expectation, we'll let them know. Be like, that was cool, but this is kind of where you might land then that's cool. But that also provides us with a, a really productive starting point. Now, it's so important that you mention it because, you know, to be honest, sometimes we'll bring we'll bring partners like you to clients and clients will say to us, they'll be like, well, if we have them, you know, why do we need Jack Morton? And to be honest, that's exactly what we say is what is the vision? What is the experience you're trying to create doing this? And I think if you guys look at if, you know, if people look at any of your case studies, whether that's, you know, uh, the subway one or, you know, there, you have to have a vision for the end goal. You have to have a vision for what it is you want people to get out of it. It is like any other content or tool. Are you trying to educate them? Are you trying to excite them? Are you trying to entertain them? You know, where, where is that spectrum lie? Um, totally. Th there's, there's the need there. The need exists. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's where, you know, we'll put our hands up and say, hey, we let others, agencies like yourselves and, and others to sort of help, help your clients shape this vision. We are very much a tool to be used. Uh, we, we're eager to, to support, but, but we are we're not best placed to, to design what, what the outcome is. And, and um, any guidance on that earlier in the journey often helps. Awesome. And, you know, just wrapping up here, John, if I could ask you a, a little bit of a, a tricky question, but you know, in the scale of this conversation, not even with just not even with just move AI, you know, even bigger than that, like, what does the future of experiences look like to you personally? Like, you know, when you when you look forward, kind of like 10, 15 years of like, what are we going to be doing? Even less, you know, what what is it that you kind of personally see? 
Um, I guess there's like, you can sort of think hardware about this and you're like, what hardware will I need to enable future states? Um, but I think that's also sort of like maybe failing to see the forest through the trees. Um, I think a lot of the behaviors that we enjoy and that we expect, like I sort of said at the top, we're already doing them. Um, so group experiences, whether they're virtual or in person, we clearly value. Um, and, but equally, like, you can look in the news these days, we see what's happening with gas and cost of living. Like a lot of what we've come to expect is going to get harder, more expensive, less accessible. Um, so if we can find ways, and I think we'll increasingly be motivated to find ways to remember what we love and then create those experiences in different ways, maybe not solely virtual, but maybe sort of hybrid events, just knowing, knowing the things that we think are amazing and then trying to recreate those um, in ways that are maybe more accessible, maybe less financially or environmentally demanding. Um, you know, I think that's sort of the way in which we'll start to see things. There was an incredible um, experience on, you know, on Regent Street here in London um, that a partner of ours that I mentioned um, delivered with David Attenborough and the World Plants. Um, yeah, it wasn't going to the Amazon, but maybe we should stop taking recreational trips to the Amazon as frequently, you know, as a, as a peoples. So if you can start to create those types of things that create environments, experiences, um, we talked about virtual concerts. I mentioned a virtual trip to the Amazon. Like, what are the things that we love and covet, we think are amazing now that just might not be accessible to us in the future? And then what is the way in which we try to replicate that that is more democratic, less, you know, demanding on our wallets and the environment and, and all the other sort of resources that we know are a little more finite? What can we sort of lean into to, to bring these things home and make them a little more gettable for everyone? Hmm. Uh, I, I love that. And, you know, if I could just kind of put a finer point on one of the things you, you just ended with, which is this idea of bringing together um, our expectations for what we want and maybe aligning them with some higher values that we have, whether that's about equality, whether that's about the environment, you know, these higher values that we have and kind of connecting them with these desires and, okay, how do we enable some of these things? I think you're right. It's such a big Particularly while we have a choice, do. right? While we have a choice. We might not have that choice for forever. So Yes. It's a Absolutely. good opportunity to seize upon it. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. I mean, I want to just give you a chance. You know, is, is there anything else that you want a burning desire to get out um, and share with, with anybody listening? No, this was lovely. This was a very um, uh, kind of, leisurely walk through a number of different subjects that you know all super relevant things that um maybe i spend more or less time thinking about than i realize so thank you for for kind of coaxing it out and um and kind of providing the forum but yeah with anything hey people want to learn more um get in touch i'm i'm always open to chats like this even if they're not publicly shared so <laughs> i'm more than happy to, to talk about this with anyone that's great. Thank you so much, John. And then I'm sure we'll be talking more soon.